The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Okay, so uh, uh, let us continue where we left off yesterday. And uh, <coughs> so we are just kind of starting out on the uh, the first uh, noble truth. Uh, and uh, yesterday we had a look at the idea of jati piduka, the idea that birth, or as it says here, rebirth, uh, is suffering. Uh, and uh, we're just going to continue uh, on this list. And the next one here is uh, old age. Uh, is suffering here, yeah. and uh, uh, again, it's it's almost like you know you almost wonder why the Buddha is saying these things. Uh, but of course, the idea is to kind of go deeper into this reality, uh, to reflect on it, uh, and to actually make it have a difference in your practice and how you how you think about life, really, uh, what you value in life, and then it has a, a profound spiritual effect as a consequence. Uh, so uh, the idea of old age suffering, I, th I think sometimes it's just kind of useful to uh, remind oneself of the problems of old age, uh, what it actually means to get older. And when you, you know, it, it starts, of course, it's just gradually, gradually you can start to feel that you, over time, things get weaker and your faculties kind of decline and all of these kind of things. Uh, but really, it is when you come to the very end of your life, it gets really bad, like the you know last year of your life or the last six months of your life or whatever it is. Uh, that's when it really starts to deteriorate and really starts to get bad. Uh, and sometimes it's useful to look at people and see, look at old age and see what it does to people. Uh, yeah, and to maybe even talk to people who are old and to kind of see what they have to say about these things, uh, just to get an insight into the uh, into that particular experience. Uh, and sometimes when you see someone who is older, you feel a sense of almost aversion to that state. Yeah, it looks very kind of unpleasant. Uh, it's very hard to accept that each one of us, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we'll get there one day. It's better to get there than not to get there, obviously. Uh, but uh, sometimes it's you feel a bit humiliated at this idea. But when you see someone who is older, really, you should be able to see yourself in the same situation. That's kind of the idea. One day I will be, be there too. One day I will be basically completely helpless. Other people have to kind of look after everything here. And there's nothing really you can do anymore. Your eyesight is failing. Your hearing is, is, is fading away. Uh, you can barely taste your food anymore. Not sure if it's fish or meat or dessert that you're having. It's kind of <laughs> it's all one mass of thing of food, and uh, you can't really walk. And after a while, you become completely dependent of others, and it can be quite almost like humiliating in a sense. Uh, and uh, it's very useful to remember this. This is just the nature of uh, how this life actually works. Uh, and uh, when you uh, to make this real, the whole point is to make it real, yeah? to really understand that this actually is happening. Yeah? It's too easy to think about these things in a superficial way yeah? and not really kind of allowing it to go in deeply. Yeah? 
So one of the ways of doing that is to remember that old age is already inside of you. It's just waiting to come out. It's already part of you. If you are young, then old age is always the other side of the coin. It's part of you. It's inside of you, waiting you to come out. In the same way, with seeing a second illness is part of part of you as well. And all of these things are already there. They're just kind of things that are already set in motion. And when you think of it like that, uh, then uh, uh, hopefully you can make it more real. It's about finding kind of skillful ways to make these things actually uh, bite, to have an effect on how you, how you think about this. Uh, so uh, this is the uh, idea of old age. Yeah, don't feel humiliated when you see someone old. Instead, feel, wow, this is interesting. And you can maybe see yourself in exactly that same situation, and then you're being realistic about it. Uh, so why do we, what's the point of all of this? Uh, why do we do these kind of things? And uh, there's, there's a few, there's at least a couple of different reasons why this is useful. Uh, but one of the reasons why it is useful is that it reminds you of the reality of life. Uh, often we have, we're looking at life with kind of rose-tinted glasses and we think life is, yay, life, yeah, okay, now is the time to enjoy and then do silly things on the path because you enjoy. It's like you get intoxicated with life. And actually, the Buddha used that very expression in the suttas. Uh, you get intoxicated with being young yeah, or being middle-aged, just the kind of strong, your vitality is there. Uh, and you forget that the, these things are going to decline and become radically worse. Uh, so when you think in this way, that intoxication, it kind of veins, it, it disappears a little bit. Uh, and that is kind of part of the uh, part of the, the the purpose of this uh, when you see the reality for actually what it actually is it kind of straightens out your mind uh, it remembers you, it remember also the downside of this thing that we call existence uh, and the more you understand the downside of the five sense world this is all part of that five sense world uh, the more you understand the downside of uh, uh, the physical body uh, yeah you may you know whatever the Basically, this entire existence that we have, yeah, but, but that we are kind of so immersed in at all times, the five sense existence is really pretty much all we know, uh, except maybe if occasionally you have a good state of meditation, you're kind of uh, coming a little bit out of that. Uh, but that is what our life is about. And you remember the downside of that existence. This is part of that downside. Uh, then again, it changes your direction a little bit. Uh, your aim in life, your purpose, your objective, uh, where you want to go, what matters to you, your values, all of this move in a different direction. Uh, and you start to value the mental aspect of life much more uh, because that is the escape from uh, the five sense world. Uh, yeah, It's the uh, development of the mind through all of the aspects of the Buddhist path, not just meditation practice. Uh, when we talk about the development of the mind, it really means every aspect of the Noble Eightfold Path that we're talking about uh, uh, it's not just about meditation practice. Uh, so your attitude changes. Uh, you think about life in a different way. You remember the downside of life. You remember that there is more to existence than just the kind of positive side. Uh, and then when you eventually do get old, you don't feel so surprised. Uh, you don't grieve so much. You don't feel so terrible about it because you knew all along this is the way it's going to happen. Uh, if you indulge too much in the idea of being young uh, or whatever it is, uh, then all day it is going to be far, far more difficult to deal with when it eventually it comes. Uh, but if you are ready for this, uh, you can deal with it as it comes as well. Uh, 
There's a lots of benefits here. You can deal with it. Uh, you have focused more on the mental aspects of the world where you have some degree of control and input uh, in how you live. Uh, and uh, because of that, you're far better prepared when these things actually happen. Uh, this is the point of these kind of reflections. Yeah, And uh, also, uh, it means that you uh, get much more skilled at letting go of the body. Uh, uh, you remember the downside of the body, not so interested in it, you have less attachment to it. Uh, it actually uh, improves your ability in meditation practice as well. Uh, so it has a lot of uh, benefits if you do it in the right way. Uh, that is just uh, the idea of old age. Uh, this becomes even more powerful when we, when we come to the death contemplation, we come to that very uh, soon. Uh, uh, but already with uh, you know, a simple contemplation like old age, it can, beca can become quite uh, useful. Uh, so this is right view in Buddhism. Yeah? It's fascinating. The fact that we're going to get old is right view. <laughs> it sounds kind of, again, it sounds so obvious. Yeah? But uh, right, the whole point, of course, is that these things are, actually they are obvious, but they're also profound at the same time. And that is what is so interesting about it. Uh, so... Uh, that is old age, yeah? And uh, then we have the contemplation that illness uh, is suffering, yeah? Ill sickness is suffering, yeah? and uh, coronavirus is suffering. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, you watch TV, people go nuts. They kind of go into the shopping markets and they start collecting toilet paper. That is the worst fear that people have. Oh no, I've got enough toilet paper. I think jeepers, creepers. <laughs> people are completely out of control. It's kind of... Uh, you don't even need toilet paper. Yeah, you can function very well without toilet paper at all. I mean, it's just, uh, I, I, yeah, anyway, I'm not going to get into <laughs> get into alternative ways of, of, of this. But uh, <laughs> so sickness, yeah, is illness, is suffering. Yeah. So uh, again, it's this idea that uh, illness and health uh, are two sides of the same coin. Yeah, if you're healthy, you're going to get ill. If you're ill, you're going to be healthy. Yeah. It is nothing goes wrong when you are sick. Yeah, it is part of nature. And uh, that is also very useful to remember because then when you get sick, you want to you want think, you know, something is wrong with nothing is wrong with you at all. If you have a physical body, you're going to get sick sometimes. It's one of those things when you look at this body. I mean, some of you here may very well be doctors. There's always if you doctor, you know, in a large crowd, there's always a few doctors around, especially especially uh, here, Buddhist society, there's always a few doctors, which is, which is nice. Uh, but I'm always surprised when you see these uh, anatomical charts yeah, of the body. It is so complicated, this body. Yeah, these tiny little blood vessels going everywhere. The tiny mind is like one, uh, you know, one kind of mole blood molecule passing at, uh, per, you know, at the time because it's so tiny. And then you have the nervous system with all these tiny little nerves going through there. You have the lymphous system. Uh, and then you have all the intestines trying to somehow work together and make this thing work then you have this squishy brain up here yeah which is kind of sitting in here somewhere is that right i hope so otherwise i'm in trouble <laughs> tick 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 yeah i think something is something not completely empty there must be something in there okay <clears throat> so um the uh th this body is so complex sometimes i'm i'm a miracle it doesn't go wrong more often that's what i think it's kind of marvelous that this thing even holds together at all uh, no wonder it goes wrong so so often uh, so when you get ill, it's natural, yeah? And this is why that, that very simple story that Ajahn Brahm always tells, that when you go to the doctor, you should never say something is wrong with me, you should say something is right with me, doctor. I'm sick again today, yeah? yeah? 
And that's so nice because it kind of reverses the whole idea of how we look at these things. Sickness is actually right. This is what is supposed to happen with this body. So never feel that something has gone wrong when you are sick. And uh, what does it feel like to be sick? I usually I tend to be quite healthy. I'm really sick, but I some occasionally get a kind of bit of a flu or something like that. Uh, I refuse to take these flu vaccines. I'm pretty stubborn in that way. But uh, uh, sometimes we got maybe say, uh, and it happened about uh, just over a year ago. I had a, an illness. I was had a flu after traveling. When you travel, there's always a chance of getting viruses and things. Uh, and uh, I I realized how terrible you feel when you have a fever and, and you can't really do anything. You're just kind of bed bound. You can't do anything at all. You feel really oh, life feels terrible. Uh, <laughs> and sickness actually is very unpleasant, uh, especially when it is uh, you know not just a kind of common cold, which is kind of not too much of a bother, but uh, when you really have a fever and you just have to lie down, you can't move, actually it's quite bad. Uh, and if you're one of those people who have very good health, then remember that uh, uh, it is always around the corner and actually it feels quite terrible to be sick. Yeah? It is a problem. Uh, and again, uh, when you remember that, yeah, and you remember that the cancers of life and the heart attacks, you know, I. I have a, both a father and a sister who passed away from cancer within the last year. So sometimes I think, well, I have a lot of the same genetic makeup. Yeah, where is the cancer? Maybe you know, just waiting for the cancer to come out sometimes. And I just remind myself that these things uh, might very well just be around the corner. Uh, and again, it takes away some of that uh, intoxication with being healthy. Uh, some of the intoxication with the body being this wonderful thing. Yay, this body feeling strong and feeling alive and feeling all this vitality. You remember the downside. Of course, you know, there is an upside as well, but we always remember the upside. We're always blind about that. So we don't have to really think too much about that. What we really need to think about is the downside. And again, it takes away some of the interest in that world. It again changes your priorities. You look in a different direction. You understand the mind is really where it is at because that is where we have some control of what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, we can decide whether we want to be kind or not, whether we want to, uh, even how we think, we can decide to some extent, at least over a long period of time, we can change the course of how we, how we think about the world. Uh, so uh, uh, remember this. Uh, and being sick, yeah, especially when you get cancers or whatever, uh, it's quite bad. Uh, yeah, it's quite uh, terrible. I, my sister, she passed away during a few months ago now, five or six months ago. This was during the uh, rains retreat. I had to fly back to Norway and kind of look after the funeral service and all of that, which is a great privilege when you're a monk. Uh, you do a funeral service for your family members. Uh, sometimes you hope there won't be too many in one go, you get one after the other, because <laughs> it's kind of taxing on the family if too many people die at the same time, uh, if you know what I mean. <laughs> So, uh, but uh, so, and you see, my sister, she was a person with a lot of vitality. She was a very energetic person, yeah, and she was kind of running her life, building up a farm. She was running this farm by herself, and she was just super duper energetic. Yeah. And whenever I came back to Norway, she would always have kind of food ready for this hungry monk from Australia and kind of, you know, looking after me and all of this. Uh, so, very generous and very um, energetic character. Yeah. 
And yet, this illness, you could see the deterioration, yeah, kind of gradually, gradually, energy being gone. After a while, she just had to sit there in a chair, and, you know, she would still work, but she had to sit there a lot of the time, because en energy wasn't there anymore. Yeah. And she just got thinner and thinner and thinner. Towards the end, she was like, kind of this, she's very tall, she's almost as tall as me. Yeah. She's like the stick person, yeah, towards the end, almost nothing left. Yeah. Completely emaciated. Yeah. And you can see how illness works. This is the reality of illness. Uh, yeah, especially when you get uh, things like cancer and things that really uh, are destructive to the body in this way. Uh, and it's very powerful when you see that in family members. Uh, yeah, Of course, even more powerful when you see it in yourself. Uh, uh, but remember, sometimes, hopefully, we don't have to wait till it happens to ourselves. Uh, sometimes by getting that information from the people around us, our acquaintances, our friends or fa family members, uh, that sometimes that is enough to remind you of these limitations. Uh, is it sad that your family members get these illnesses? Uh, not necessarily, it's just life. It depends how you think about it. Uh, what is sad if someone wastes their life by not living well? That is sad. Uh, but if someone has lived well, well, actually, illness is to be expected. It's not really sad, it's just reality. Uh, just have to know how to think about it in the right way and then uh, uh, you can deal with these things uh, fairly easily i would say uh, yeah it's just a matter of perspective really here yeah. so that is illness yeah unfortunately uh, it is part and parcel of life uh, the illness is just inside of you waiting to come out at any time uh, never be surprised uh, if you get ill here yeah. so let us come to the uh, uh, the next one uh, here uh, and the, uh, actually, before I come to the next one, one of the things I would like to point out, you will see there is another uh, sutta extract just after the one I've been reading out now. Uh, it is uh, uh, MN141, the analysis of the truths. Uh, so MN is the Majjhimanikai, the middle-length sayings of the Buddha, uh, number 141. And this is just a... Uh, kind of series of definitions, yeah? How do we define these uh, noble truths? And uh, so here you can see what is this thing called, what is jati, yeah? is the first one it says there. And an important definition there of what jati actually means, or birth, or rebirth, what it actually means. And there you can see the uh, large number of synonyms there, or not just synonyms, but also clarifications about the meaning of this. So it is the rebirth, inception, conception, reincarnation, manifestation of the uh, personality factors or aggregates, if you like, yeah, the acquisition of the sense fields, in other words, the five senses, uh, of the various sentient beings into the various orders of sentient beings. Uh, this is called jati, this is called birth or rebirth. Uh, yeah, the various orders, an order here just means like a, a group yeah, of, uh, of beings, like the, maybe the, 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 the order of birds perhaps, or maybe you can even subdivide it into further uh, lower down, or the order of kangaroos, yeah, or the order of worms, or the order of ghosts, or the order of humans, or the order of uh, the various orders of devas. That's really what it means. The, the Pali word is, you know what the Pali word is? Nikaya. Nikaya is the word, like the like the four Nikayas, yeah, the Diga Nikaya, same word, Nikaya. It means like a collection, yeah, or a group, uh, here called an order. Yeah. 
So what is interesting about this definition is that it is abundantly clear that what is meant is rebirth in the ordinary sense of the word. Yeah? Acquisition of the aggregates when you actually pick up your personality factors, you pick up the sense, five senses. Yeah? It is not some kind of metaphorical usage. It doesn't mean the birth of the mind moment, the mind moment coming into existence. Old age doesn't mean the kind of the ending of or the kind of coming to an end of a mind moment. It means rebirth in the ordinary sense. And this is a good way of thinking about the suttas, unless there is a good reason to think that something is used metaphorically or used as a simile or used allegorically or whatever. We can assume that it is meant literally. Yeah, It is meant as the way it actually is. So and you need a very good reason to redefine terms. Uh, and here is actually a very good reason to do the opposite, not to redefine at all, but to understand these things in its literal sense. Uh, so then you have old age. Yeah, Again, old age here is defined as the old age, uh, the decrepitude, uh, the broken teeth, gray hair, wrinkly skin, diminished vitality, uh, failing faculties, yeah, faculties meaning the five senses in this case, uh, of various sentient beings and the various orders of sentient beings. This is called old age. Does that make any sense to think of the mind moment as having broken teeth and gray hair? It's a very interesting mind moment that has gray hair and wrinkly skin. Uh, you can, this becomes very, very metaphorical if you have to read it in that way. It's a little bit too metaphorical. Uh, and you realize that this obviously must mean literal old age. Yeah? It's the only really possible interpretation here. Yeah? And then you have death. Yeah? What is the death? The passing away, the perishing, the disintegration, the demise, the mortality, the death, the disease, the breaking up of the agrees, the laying down of the corpse, the cutting off the life faculty of various sentient beings and various orders of sentient beings. This is called death. Yeah? So again, it doesn't mean the ending of any mind moment. It means a literal death. Uh, yeah? This is how it is defined. Uh, and uh, this matters enormously. And this is how rebirth and how old age and death are defined throughout the suttas. Uh, it is defined like that in the Four, four Noble Truths. Uh, is defined like that in the context of dependent origination. Because in dependent origination also we have jati, and jara, jara, jara is old age, and marana, which is death, uh, they all occur in dependent origination as well. And throughout the suttas, this it is, is how it is defined. Uh, yeah. So uh, again, uh, it, it, it's a very important point because there is a quite a strong tendency in, especially kind of in the Western. Uh, ideas that kind of people from the West have because we don't really are not used to the idea of rebirth so we think yeah rebirth that's just Indian culture yeah we don't want to have bring Indian culture into the West we want to interpret this in a way which is sensible yeah we don't want, want this superstition from Asia keep that superstition from Asia out but actually it is a superstition from the West instead and then you kind of you know turn things around and you make it into superstitious in a different way and that is the problem here it's about reading. It's about having faith in the Buddha. What does the Buddha talk about? That is really the critical issue here. Yeah? If the Buddha talks about this in this way, if you have faith in the Buddha, if you have taken refuge in the Triple Gem, you have to take this thing seriously. If you don't, well, the question then is, are you really a Buddhist? If you, especially if you dismiss it, does that make you a Buddhist or does it make you a 
something else, uh, whatever that is. Uh, and uh, it's that is how important it is. Uh, taking refuge means to take the teachings of the Buddha seriously. Uh, yeah, that's what it means. Okay, it doesn't mean that you have to necessarily accept everything straight away. It is okay to doubt. Uh, in fact, this is one of the beautiful things about Buddhism, that doubt is actually encouraged uh, if something is doubtful. So doubting is not just good, it is actually uh, promoted in certain situations and circumstances. Uh, so doubt is fine, but it's when you reject these things and you overturn things and you reinterpret them, uh, that is when it becomes really problematic. Uh, so you have to, uh, th this is what kind of confidence and going for refuge means, uh, that you take these things seriously. Dismissing them is not taking it seriously, almost by definition here. So uh, I just like to make this point, because unless you know the sutta as well, and you know how they work and how they all fit together, it may not be obvious to you that these things actually are very clear in the suttas, uh, and they are very, uh, you know, very clearly laid out and defined. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so then... Uh, now, you, when we talk about rebirth, old age, illness, and death, well, these are literal, uh, literal meanings, not metaphorical meanings or anything like that. Uh, so, death is suffering. Yeah, coming to the last one here, uh, and uh, death is suffering. Uh, why is death suffering? Uh, and death is suffering because we have to, when we die, we have to let go of everything in this world. Uh, yeah, that is why it is so hard. Uh, when you get old, okay, then you have to kind of start to let go of the body a little bit. When you have illness, uh, it challenges your idea that the body is wonderful and marvelous. Uh, but when you die, that is when reality really kicks in big time. <laughs> yeah, because when you die, everything has to go. Uh, you have to give up everything you own in this world. Absolutely everything, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the obvious one. Uh, you have to give up all your friendship and acquaintances and family members, the people who are most dear to you, you're going to have to go. Yeah, and this is very hard, especially our human relationships, often some of the things that are most dear to us and most important to us. It's very difficult to let go of all our human relationships in one go like that. Then, uh, as I like to point out, it's not just that, but it's also our mental content, a lot of our mental content and our attachments and our identity is actually tied up with this world. Uh, who we are as a person, our I'm a Buddhist monk, yeah, that's my identity. Well, if I attach too much to that when I die, yeah, then I might be, might have a problem because I'm not sure if the ghost probably doesn't wear this kind of robes, yeah. I'm not sure if the ghost ha kind of shaves its head or whether it has hair or what it does, I'm not sure about that. So because of that, you have to kind of you have to be able to kind of see yourself as something more than just a Buddhist monk, yeah? yeah? Or a male, or, or uh, as an Oswegian, or whatever it is, all of these things, uh, yeah? You have to kind of go beyond those categories, uh, because at that point, those, all of those things are tied to this world. Uh, and when you die, you have to leave it all behind. Whether you are educated and all of that kind of stuff, your gender, everything becomes irrelevant largely when you are uh, going to move on into the future. Uh, and this is one of those beautiful things about meditation practice. Uh, a large part of what you give up in meditation is a sense of identity. Uh, yeah, when you become peaceful, when you move towards emptiness, uh, what is your gender? You don't really have a gender anymore. Uh, what is your nationality? Uh, what is your ethnic background? Uh, 
What is your education level? Well, all of that becomes utterly irrelevant when you go into stillness inside her. All you are, you are this kind of amorphous, you are just this beautiful peace, yeah? This beautiful emptiness. And actually, that is one of those wonderful things about meditation practice. It shows you how beautiful emptiness and peace inside actually is going beyond identity here. Going beyond attachment to who we are in this world uh, is actually a wonderful thing. Uh, it's something very beautiful. Uh, yeah? So in a very real sense, when we meditate in this way, we are preparing ourselves for death. Uh, yeah, the path of meditation and the path of dying are actually very closely related to each other. Uh, so if you, are, if you can meditate a little bit, uh, if you can able to get a little bit peaceful, uh, you have a big advantage when it comes to the dying time because you are able to let go uh, you're able to leave behind so many of these things that we attach to in this world uh. so all of this yeah and of course all of this has to go and finally our physical body also has to go and that is also something that you give up in your meditation practice uh. so you can see here how what a powerful time it is dying is very very powerful uh, because it forces you to face reality uh, i have to give things up and the idea uh, of death contemplation is to enable us to do that now. Don't wait till you die here. We get it into your mind, into your head now that this is a big opportunity to learn about death, to let go of this world because you're going to have to let go of it anyway. Yeah, and use it now. Then it becomes a powerful tool in your on your spiritual path, in your meditation practice, uh, and something that you can use for massive benefit for yourself and also for everyone else around you. Uh. In fact, I think sometimes people underestimate how powerful this tool actually is. And one of the things I, I like to point out is that uh, the idea of death contemplation is actually what drove the Buddha or the Buddha-to-be to become a monk in the first place. Uh, yeah? One of the reasons why we have Buddhism, uh, why the Dhamma has persisted for two and a half thousand years, uh, is because one man two and a half thousand years ago thought about death in a very profound way. That is why we have Buddhism. If you read the autobiographical suttas, where the Buddha talks about his own life and he talks about why he went forth, why he decided to become a monk, why he left his kind of family and everything behind, what he says, one of the main reasons was precisely the idea of death. Yeah, that is actually what drove him. He talks about illness, old age, and death. But of those three, death is obviously the most powerful one. Uh, yeah, you can bring them all together if you like. Uh. So the Buddha reflected on that. Uh, yeah, and in the suttas, if you read a, a sutta like the Arya Pariyasna Sutta, the Noble Surge, Majjhimanikaya 26, uh, he talks about that. Uh, uh, he talks about also how he used death contemplation in, um, and this is called the Sukkumala Sutta or something in the. And Guttonikai 3s and 39 or something like that. And he talks about his kind of luxurious upbringing and then how he decided to move away from that. And death contemplation is a very important reason. This is actually the main reason why the Buddha went forth. Isn't that kind of fascinating? That the Buddha, yeah, this is why the Buddha went forth. That is why we have Buddhism in the present day, because one person thought about death in a very profound sense. He realized there was a problem. How can I go out and enjoy myself in the world? How can I go out and attach to all of these things in the world when I eventually will have to give it up? 
I'm asking for suffering. I go into the world and I touch to all of these things. I build up a career for myself. Uh, obviously, the Buddha was a very extremely bright person. Yeah, he, he probably would have done really, really well as an ordinary person. Uh, very, very bright. And uh, so he could have done a lot in the world. Yeah, But still, it involves attachment. Uh, having a wife or a husband, if you like, uh, or children, all of this involves attachments to some extent. Uh, yeah, And uh, then building up a career, building up an ego, a sense of self of who you are, all of these things always involves attachments. Uh, and then uh, death comes. Uh, often death comes before you die, because other people die as well. Uh, often you lose your wealth. Yeah, This is another kind of, all of these things are kind of small deaths. Uh, but eventually you're going to have to die. Everything has to go. Uh, so what's the point of building all of these things up and then having to let, let go of it again? Why? What's the point of that? And this is what happens when you die. You come to the end of your life. You've spent so much time yeah, looking after the things that belong to this world, building up relationships, building up acquaintances, building up a network of associates or whatever it is, building up your wealth, building up your sense of identity. Yeah, this is what your life, the whole life for most people is about that. And then you're going to die. The feeling is... It's very difficult because your life has revolved entirely around these things. This is what has been given you meaning. And now everything has to go. Once you get this, you start to see the emptiness in that kind of pursuit. And not only emptiness, how dangerous it is. Because it means when you eventually die, you feel confused. You feel empty. You feel like you are left with nothing left over. Everything has to go. You feel the sense of pointlessness yeah what was the point of all of this now everything has to be left to the next generation and i have to carry on and unless you have built some kind of refuge for yourself unless you have built up some inner qualities that you can take with you into the future it's going to be very hard very difficult to die and you see people on their deathbed sometimes they struggle they don't want to die they can't let go of this world and the reason they can't let go is precisely for uh, precisely this. Yeah, they haven't done anything to really have a refuge in in that dying process. When you die, you need a refuge. You need something to hold on to. And the thing that you hold hold on to at that time is the qualities in your mind. If you have a beautiful mind, if you have built up kindness and goodness inside, if you have the ability to move towards emptiness and stillness inside because you have some meditation practice, then you have a refuge. Then when you die, you can deal with it. You're able to let go. Yeah, But if not, it's not there and there's nothing you can do about it. So this is what's going on here. So the Buddha then goes forth. He realizes, well, I have to find a solution to this, to the problem of death. Why? Because it overshadows everything else in my life. Uh, yeah? This is by far the most important thing. Yeah? So he goes forth. And of course, because he is the Buddha-to-be, he actually does find a solution to death. Yeah? It sounds almost impossible. How can there be a solution to death? We all have to die. The solution, of course, is inward. Uh, it is how we develop our mind. Uh, and if you develop the mind in the right way, death ceases to be a problem. Uh, in fact, death almost becomes a welcome thing if you're an arahant. Yeah, yay, death. Okay, no problem anymore. Huh? That's kind of the arahant outlook. Yeah, yeah. There's a that famous story. I, I. This is a, this is a pretty, pretty kind of <laughs> amazing story. This is the story of Punna. Punna was one of the monks at the time of the Buddha. It's found in the. If you want to read it, it's found in the Punavada Sutta in the Majjhima Nikaya number hundred and. 
46 or something like that. I can't remember the exact numbers. 40, 45, 46, around there. And uh, in this Punavada, so that this monk called Punna, he goes to the Buddha. And he says to the Buddha that I would like to go and live in the Sunaparanta country. Yeah. Yeah. Sunaparanta country is like the Wild West. Yeah. yeah. It's like kind of it's like when the settlers came to Australia in the beginning or came to the US, you know, kind of moving westward. Everything was wild and uncertain. This is kind of the Indian equivalent of the Wild West. Yeah, it was like far away. It was dusty. There was the dogs were really fierce and the people were also kind of fierce. Yeah, and you had to be very careful what you do, especially if you look like a weird Buddhist monk and you, you, you know, nobody really knows who you are. So he says to the Buddha, I would like to the uh, Sunaparanta country. And the Buddha says, well, that's kind of the Wild West. Well, the Buddha doesn't say Wild West, of course, but uh, you know you know what I mean. Uh, and the uh, people are fierce and it's really hard and, and all of that. Uh, are you sure you want to do that? Yes, I, I want to go to the Sunaparanta country. Uh, and then the Buddha said, well, what if people abuse you when you go there? Uh, and uh, Puna said, well, if they abuse me, I will say, well, uh, thank you, people, for not kind of throwing uh, you know, stones, rocks at me here. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, as the Buddha start already getting impressed, yeah, this monkey really has the right attitude. And then the Buddha, well, but what if they do throw rocks at you? Yeah. What are you going to do then? Well, I will say, well, thank you for not kind of stabbing me with knives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the Buddha, well, but, but what if they do stab you with knives? Well, I guess I will say, well, at least thank you for not killing me. But what if they do kill you? And then Puna says, well, there have been other monks who have sought the knife. In other words, they have sought to be killed by someone else. Uh, at least I didn't have to look for being killed by anyone. Uh, yeah, that is kind of a, that is a Puna. And then the Buddha says, well, in that case, you are ready for the Sunapranta country. <laughs> Very positive idea. Yeah, this idea that there is no problem, basically. Whatever happens, uh, we can deal with it somehow. And if, if someone kills me, well, at least I didn't have to look for an assassin. Yeah, I can just uh, sort of, I can, I can be, it just, it just happens automatically. So he probably was an arahant already. Huh? And if he died, well, that, was, that wasn't such a, such a bad thing anyway. Huh? So this is kind of the idea yeah, when you become an arahant. Again, this idea, it turns the world upside down. Uh, what everyone else thinks is dukkha, the arahant think is sukkha. And everything is, is, is so completely different huh? So this is the uh, idea of uh, death contemplation. Yeah, you have to, uh, but you have to make this real again. Uh, yeah, you have to make it into something that actually grabs you in the here and now. And this is the hard part with all of these contemplations to actually make them real. Uh, so how do you make it real? And the w one of the ways of doing that is to remember that there's only one time to be ready to die, and that is now. Uh, if you wait till you are on your deathbed, if you wait till you are, you know, 80 or whatever it is when you die, usually it is too late. Your mind is not prepared. You're not going to be able to deal with it. Now is the time to be prepared. Yeah, only now is the time. So, uh, for that reason, you kind of uh, uh, allow yourself to remember that. Well, if I'm going to, if I'm going to be ready now, it means that now I have to let go of everything. Yeah? This is why meditation is a great way of kind of learning that death experience. Because if you remember that you have to be ready now, then you can, you're able to let go in the present moment and allow things to let go. You can measure your ability to let go by the peace of mind that you have when you meditate. 
Yeah, that's how you basically how you know your ability to let go. And using the death contemplation will then enable you to let go. That is the whole purpose of the death contemplation. Huh? You meditate, you remember, yeah, I'm going to die here. I don't know when it's going to be here. Yeah, it could be very soon. Huh? We just don't know. Huh? And if it isn't going to be very soon, well, at the very least, I have to be ready now so I can be ready when it eventually happens. Uh, and the only way to be ready now is to actually allow myself to die now. And death is peaceful. Yeah, it is beautiful. We're going to do a guided death meditation later on on this retreat. Uh, yeah, but it's very, if you get it, get it right, uh, it's actually a very beautiful thing. Uh, because really what death is about... Uh, yeah, it is about a process of letting go. It is exactly the same thing that we try to do in meditation practice. Uh, and letting go is always an opportunity to unburden yourself, uh, throw out the burdens of life, yeah, and allow things to become peaceful instead. Uh. So instead of waiting till the moment you die to learn about death, uh, you learn about death now. Yeah, and when you learn about it now, it again has this twofold effect. It becomes very useful in your meditation practice uh, and it also reminds you of the limitations of this life uh, and the limitations of uh, uh, our existence uh, so you actually can start to unburden yourself and throw out those things that are, are there later on on this retreat i'm going to uh, have a look at one of the uh, the similes that i really like uh, on this buddhist path is a simile of the borrowed goods uh, and the idea of the simile of the borrowed goods, again, is this idea that everything in our life is borrowed. Yeah, there's only one thing, really, that is not borrowed in Buddhism. And even that is kind of borrowed to some extent. But there's one thing that is far less borrowed than the ordinary things of our, of our life. And that is our mental state. Yeah? The mind state that we build up. when you reach, Because we have a, tend to have a certain a kind of baseline that we kind of come back to. Yeah? And... Uh, Part, the spiritual path is really about raising that baseline, uh, lifting it up uh, so that we have a general, generally more bright and uh, clear outlook on existence than we otherwise would have. Uh. So lifting the baseline of our mental state uh, is in very large part what the spiritual path is about. Uh. But everything else apart from that mental state, uh, yeah, all of that is borrowed. Uh. We have it temporarily. Uh. And when you think about everything in your life being borrowed, uh, it has a very powerful effect on you. Uh, yeah, you take you look you start looking at things in a different way. Uh. What is it like if you rent a car compared to you owning a car? Uh? Yeah, it is a different feeling, isn't it? Uh? Owning a car means that if someone kind of does something bad, you get upset. Uh, yeah, we're denting my car. If they dent a rental car, couldn't really doesn't really matter so much. Uh, yeah, it may not be nice, but it's not a big deal. But if they dent your car, it is my car, right? Actually, it isn't your car. It is just a borrowed thing. Uh, that you have for a short time, uh, and then it's going to have to go again. Uh. So you bring a little bit of that borrowed attitude into your life with everything. yeah. And again, this has a very powerful impact uh, on what you value in life. Uh. Because we don't value borrowed things as much, it's obvious. Uh, what we value are long-term investments. Uh, uh, in other words, the mind, yeah, which we then carry on with us after we die, those qualities that you build up of your mind in this life, you carry them forward into the future. Often people ask this question, what's the point, you know, 
what do I take with me when I die? Do I start from scratch again? Of course not. That's the whole point of Buddhism. That's the whole point of the idea of Kamma. Kamma goes from one life to the next one. There's only one thing you take with you, and that is the qualities of your mind. Yeah, That baseline, that kind of thing that you come back to when you meditate, when your mind calms down, that kind of baseline you have when you're not kind of busy in the world, that is what you bring with you into the future. And that is what is really worth investing in her. And that's why I like to say that the best investment advisors in the world is not Goldman Sachs. Yeah, Goldman Sachs, bad. Short term, yeah, it's all about this life. The best investment advisor are, is the Buddha. Yeah, he's number one investment advisor. The Buddha and perhaps some of the Buddhist monks or, or, or Buddhist people who know about uh, how to invest for the real long term. This is real long term investment, yeah. It's not for this life, it's for even f beyond the grave. This is kind of really, really, really long-term investment. Uh, and if you think about it, it kind of makes sense, yeah? So if you're using, I don't know if anyone here is using Goldman Sachs as their investment advisor, okay, just the local bank maybe, but still, yeah? All of that, uh, just uh, check it all out, yeah? That's kind of, okay, use them, but use them with wisdom uh, because they, they don't really know what they're talking about. It's all short-term, it's all this world, yeah? And this is why the spiritual path is so powerful and so important because it gives you a completely different outlook yeah? and it stops trapping you from these uh, the, the kind of the little games that we play in this particular world yeah? so uh, remember uh, the death contemplation don't wait until it is too late bring it into your life now uh, i read a article not so long ago there was some research that had been done at the university in south africa and what they did was well, they, they showed people a newspaper article about people who had died. Yeah? And then they measured some kind of activity in the brain to see how they reacted to that. And the reaction was basically no reaction at all. Yeah, okay, someone has died, yeah, whatever, yawn, okay, put it to one side. Yeah? It's not really interesting here. And that shows you how difficult it is to relate to other people's death. Yeah? You see someone in a newspaper, that's someone else. Got nothing to do with me, right? Could nothing to do with you if someone in the newspaper dies. Is that right? Well, actually, it does. That's the whole point. Because the whole point is that if someone else can die, and if you see how people die in the world, yeah, they die from all kinds of strange things. Sometimes they just fall over because their heart kind of just collapses or whatever. Sometimes they walk into the street at the wrong time and bang, some kind of stupid driver hits you. Or you walk for a walk in the forest and you fall over because you stumble in a root or something like that. Or you have some kind of illness just waiting to come out. There's all kind of weird ways of dying. It happens all the time. And there's absolutely no guarantee it won't happen to us. Yeah. So this was the weird thing about this research people tend to other make it other the idea that people die it's got nothing to do with me this relates to other people but that's not true it relates to you when someone else dies you should be able to see yourself in their position yeah if you look at the ages of people who die most of the time it is people who have reached a certain age 70 80 90 whatever but sometimes it's middle-aged people yeah sometimes it's young people who die sometimes the babies die here this is the thing, nice thing about being a Buddhist monk. You see this very clearly because we do quite a bit of funeral services as Buddhist monks. Uh, and when you see that, you see, you know, sometimes you get these tiny little coffins, uh, coffins specially made for babies. Uh, and then you get every age in between, all the way up to 120 or whatever it is that people, it's kind of the last stage of life that is possible in a sense. Uh, 
And uh, it, so make it real when you read those newspaper articles. Don't other it. Don't think it has got nothing to do, do with you. It has everything to do with you. So if we look, we can see death around us at all time. If we are sharp, we will bring it on board. We don't have to wait for a family member to die or for ourselves to come close to death. Yeah, We can actually uh, d get it beforehand. It is difficult. Uh, but it can be done if you are wise about it. Uh, but sometimes it needs to be more in your face. Uh, and I, it, it was very interesting for me because, as I said, my, my sister died not so long ago. My father died before that. It was almost a year ago now. And with my father, it was kind of expected. Yeah, he was 80 years old and he had some fairly advanced cancer. So you kind of expect people to die because of that. But with my sister, it was more powerful because she's actually younger than me yeah she's uh, or she was younger than me a couple of years younger so if she can die then obviously it can happen to you as well huh? so uh and it was so powerful because as i said before she was this very energetic person huh? very generous always looking after people always very happy to support everyone and you know always kind of working really really hard huh? and uh when i saw her coming to you know she was the only person in my family who wasn't really interested in buddhism at all the rest of my family they had kind of gradually come around it took a long time but eventually they came around to the other idea that buddhism actually is pretty pretty cool religion yeah we do cool things in buddhism <laughs> and uh, but my sister was the holdout yeah she was kind of still very materialistic and she was all about this world and about you know what to do in this life and all of that uh, whereas my parents and my brother they were much more they were more interested in spiritual matters uh, and uh, but it was very interesting yeah and i could see her dying and she's the kind of person she was so energetic uh, that she worked carried on working almost till the point she died uh, Eventually, she couldn't move anymore, so they had to take her to hospital, and the staff were astonished that she was still able to function because she, you know, she was supposed to be almost dead already when she came to hospital. And uh, but, uh, you know, all her life was about building up things. All the life was about looking after her two children. She had two children; they were already in the late teens when she passed away, so I think they were probably okay. But uh, that was what her life was about, and now. In the middle of her work, in the middle of building up this farm, in the middle of raising her two children and supporting them with their education or whatever, suddenly she has to go. And it seems so empty. It seems so pointless. Yeah, all of these things that meant everything for her. Suddenly they have to go in the middle of doing this without any way of, you know, without seeing any way forward. And instead of thinking about spiritual things, uh, instead of taking the opportunity to develop her mind and do what is right, uh, her whole life had been revolved around these things. Uh, and she was always very optimistic that the cancer can be beaten. Yeah, this was kind of her kind of idea. I told her, don't be so sure. But of course, I don't think it really went down that well when her brother said these things to her. You know, it's like sometimes if you are too close, family member. <laughs> so... Uh, it, it, it was a very powerful lesson to me because it showed me the emptiness, the inherent emptiness of all these worldly things. You are in the middle of it, and as you are in the middle of it, you pass away. All of it has to go. Everything that means something to you is left behind. It's a very, very powerful lesson. Towards the very end of her life, my sister did actually turn around a little bit. And I was really surprised when she wrote me an email and she asked for some advice on how to do meditation practice or whatever. Yeah, so it was sometimes you need that 
reminder that life itself is in you know the flaws of life to really turn you around so she did actually come around a little bit to the end uh, but not that much uh, yeah it was still very obvious that the world was really where she was at what really meant something to her uh, but very very powerful uh, yeah and uh, the sense of emptiness of pointlessness of not actually having anything became so clear to me when i saw that uh, and then i of course, I then went back and I didn't actually die before I got back home because she, you know, she went to hospital and she died just a couple of days later. She was so, so, such a bad state. But then I went back and, and did her funeral service and all of that. And that was very, again, very interesting and very powerful to do a funeral service for a family member. It is very, it has a lot of really nice. Um, it's a nice way of saying your final goodbyes to a fa family member. Uh, it's a nice way of kind of wishing them well on onto the future journey. Uh, and it's a great privilege to be a Buddhist monk in those kind of circumstances. Uh, and uh, so it was great. And also, one of the reasons I like funeral services is because they are an opportunity to, uh, for people to listen. People are often more open uh, at funeral services because the reality of life is kind of staring people in the face. People are usually more somber, more quiet, uh, more kind of willing to hear a message about spirituality. And this was true also here. My sister was a very popular person. It was a large funeral, hundreds of people. I don't know, 300 people or something came to this funeral. Uh, and uh, none of them were really Buddhist. Uh, yeah, none of them really had an idea of Norway is a very secular nation, a bit like Australia, maybe even slightly more secular. Yeah. So everyone there was just kind of nothing. Yeah, they were all into BMWs and this kind of stuff. Uh, but nobody really cares about, you know, spirituality. Yeah. And yet, when I did the funeral service, it had a real impact on people. I didn't say much about Buddhism. I just used Buddhist ideas to conduct it. Uh, yeah. And people said, wow, that was really good. Uh, this was just so, you know, such an eye-opener when you do it in this way. Because uh, uh, people are open at that time. And this shows me, and one, one thing it showed me is that the potential for Buddhist teachings around the world is actually great. Uh, people don't know enough about Buddhism very often. If they knew about Buddhist values and Buddhist ideas, uh, I think there would be a large interest in our modern society because we are so secular. But we need something more because secularism often leads a kind of emptiness inside. Uh, and that emptiness is it's a chance there for us to do something as Buddhists, to help people fill that void. Uh, when you give up your ordinary religion and all your interest is in material well-being, then there's something inside of you that is missing. Uh, and that is where we have an opportunity to do that. And an important part of that is the death contemplation. Uh. So I would really recommend you to take on board uh, the death contemplation yeah you can do it in very simple ways uh, you can remind yourself of how uncertain life is uh, so whenever you leave your house in the morning to go out to work or whatever it is uh, and if you remind yourself of how uncertain it is uh, you realize you have to leave your house in a good way say goodbye to your partner your husband your wife your children or whoever it is that you live with say goodbye to them in a good way because you may not see them again uh, yeah, this may, today may be the last time. Uh, and if you remember the fragility of life, uh, if you remember how uncertain everything is and how quickly things can come to an end, uh, what is interesting about that, it makes us more caring as, as human beings uh, because we understand the uncertainty of things. Uh, it's that old simile of Ajahn Shah holding up the glass and saying the glass is, uh, uh, is, is already has a crack in it. Yeah. The, our bodies already have a crack in it. Uh, our bodies already are ready to die. Death is inside of us, waiting to come out. Uh, 
And when you remember that fragility, actually, it makes you more caring. Yeah. It makes you more caring because you understand how uncertain everything is. Yeah. So death contemplation makes you more peaceful as a person. It makes you more caring towards people and the world outside. Yeah. It has tremendous benefits if you deal with it in the right way. Yeah. So, uh, uh, And it is said by the Buddha in numerous places on the suttas uh, is spoken about uh, and the buddha says everyone should do death contemplation yeah it is one of those contemplations that are universal for everyone whether you are a monastic or a lay person or whatever you are uh, it is a uh, part and parcel of the spiritual path uh. okay so that is uh, all for now uh. so please continue enjoying yourself have a nice lunch and we'll see you back again at two o'clock this afternoon uh.